From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, and happy Thanksgiving to my Canadian listeners. Now listen, if you had your turkey tonight, I'm, I'm hoping you didn't get too much tryptophan into your system. Otherwise, you won't be able to stay awake. Uh, because we've got a good one for you again tonight. Maybe I should look into that. Maybe there is a, a turkey conspiracy happening. Uh, Dr. John Apsley is standing by in New York City. If you're not familiar with John's work, he specializes in regenerative medicine. We're going to talk about Ebola uh, tonight. The death toll and the number of people infected keeps ticking up in sub-Saharan Africa. And of course, just recently, the Liberian Thomas Duncan passed away in a Dallas hospital after becoming infected with the Ebola virus and then traveling to the United States. We're going to get into the likelihood that this outbreak could develop into a global epidemic. Are there any parallels between this Ebola outbreak and the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, which killed somewhere between 20 and 50 million people? We'll also discuss how we should be fighting this thing. Is it boots on the ground in Africa, building infrastructure and and quarantine field hospitals? Or should we be banning travel between North America and these hot zones, Uh, to quote Richard Preston? I think we dodged a bullet with Duncan. He could have infected others. A cluster could have developed. But it's just a matter of time, perhaps, before Ebola comes to our shores. And we'll talk about the likelihood of that. Is it just a question of when rather than if, uh, is this the big one? We're overdue for a pandemic, and they happen once every generation, we're told repeatedly. Is it possible Ebola has been weaponized? Why does the Centers for Disease Control have a patent on one of the many strains of this virus? That's been gnawing at me for some time. Very curious, a patent on the Ebola virus. But before we get to that, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, the Conspiracy Show television program was preempted by another program on vision. But don't worry, we're back this week, another brand new episode. I believe uh, a couple of weeks ago the water engine episode was supposed to air, uh, and so that was last week, and I believe this week it's Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Was she murdered? And whether the Kennedys may have been involved in that. That's uh, coming up on uh, Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. And don't forget, after the show or during the show, log into theconspiracyshow.com theconspiracyshow.com, our interactive website, and you can vote, debate, discuss. And uh, again, just a a reminder, you've only got a few more weeks in order to order your passes to my conference, Follow the Truth, the Conspiracy Show Summit, Sunday, November the 16th, at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa, Past Lives with Debbie Papadakis, uh, Roswell with Don Schmidt, uh, and uh, Professor Ronald Mallett uh, on uh, time travel. Oh, and we have a new speaker, just added him to the roster, Andrew Gregg, fascinating guy. He's going to talk about pyramids, pyramid power. Remember that, uh, and the likelihood that that pyramids that and they're discovering these things all over the world, not just in Serbia, uh, but now in, in all over Central America, Costa Rica, where he lives. Uh, these things may actually be giant batteries. That's his theory, and they can be used as a power source and also to heal. Roger or Andrew Gregg uh, on the roster now. Follow the truth. Uh, the Conspiracy Show Summit, Sunday, November the 16th, Regent Theatre, all-day event. Call the box office first thing tomorrow. I'm told, I don't know what's going on out there. I'm told ticket sales are really slow. So listen, uh, you gotta, you got to answer the bell, folks. Call the box office tomorrow morning, 905-721-3399. 
or followthetruth.tv, www.followthetruth.tv for all the details. Hope to see you there. Dr. John Apsley is a physician author who has for the past 30 years specialized in regenerative medicine. His cutting-edge techniques are designed to reverse chronic degenerative diseases at their source through accelerated tissue repair and cellular regeneration. Dr. Apsley holds degrees in medicine, chiropractic, and nutrition, and as a certified acupuncturist, he's written or co-authored six books, including Fukushima Meltdown and Modern Radiation, and the bestseller, The Regeneration Effect. Hey, Dr. John, how are you? Oh, good, Richard. It's so good to be back with you. You know, we have these these global epidemics once a generation. Of course, we all hearken back to the uh, the Spanish flu uh, back in uh, 1918, 1920, that killed something like 50 million, 100 million uh, souls. Uh, 675,000 here in North America. What do you think about Ebola? Is this the next global uh, epidemic? Is this the big one we've been waiting for? It could be for several reasons. Uh, With the uh, containment procedures that the developed nations have, you would think not. But because of the mutation ability of the Ebola, um, it could very well be. So this is, remains to be seen. Well, they seem very confident. When I say they, I mean the Centers for Disease Control and, and uh, up here in, in Canada. Uh, we're being told we have nothing to worry about, and hence there is no need uh, for uh, quarantining people that arrive on these shores uh, from uh, places like Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea, uh, Nigeria, etc. I don't know. I I'm not so confident. When you have... Western doctors on the ground in Africa, heavily gloved, taking, you know, wearing hazmat suits, and they're getting Ebola. To me, uh, you know, that's cause for concern. I don't think we're doing enough here. How about you? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, one of the things that we should be doing is more careful monitoring uh, the folks coming over from Africa, both as they head into Europe and then come over here as well as when they come directly over here. Like, for example, in New York, We've got two airports that are receiving people from West Africa every single day in hundreds and hundreds of numbers, and there's been no real check to see whether or not they're sick. And on top of that, uh, the incubation period, once you've been exposed, is anywhere from 2 to 21 days. So let's say you're, you were exposed a week ago and you have no symptoms. There's no way to find out at the airports whether or not that you're infected, whereas They do have equipment that can read if your body temperature is higher than normal, but those aren't installed. But even if they were installed, those people that are in between showing symptoms wouldn't be caught. And there is a propensity of people to want to lie because if they do lie by saying, no, no, I wasn't uh, even close to someone with Ebola, but they really were, uh, they're coming over here because they know that they can receive the best treatment in the world. So that's why that we see a couple of cases of those already, including the most recent one here in Texas. Well, this patient in in Dallas is being charged by Liberian officials uh, for doing exactly that, uh, being somewhat deceptive, getting on an airplane, endangering the lives of uh, Lord knows how many uh, North American citizens. Uh, they're taking it far more seriously over there than uh, American officials uh, seem to be taking it. But let's let's just back up a minute. Uh, Dr. John Apsley is with us as we discuss uh, the Ebola outbreak. Uh, give us a, a, a little thumbnail sketch of the history of the Ebola virus. 
Very good. Well, it was discovered in 1976 in Africa. Uh, there are five different strains. Uh, one of them actually is uh, pretty common here as far as viruses go in the United States or North America, but it's not lethal. The other four cause bleeding um, symptoms uh, in the intense stages, and that makes them very prone to killing people. Unfortunately, this particular strain is called the Zare strain. It's 90% fatal. And so right now it's sweeping through Africa for two reasons. Number one, um, it's 90% fatal. Number two, um, they don't have a, a system of quarantine over there that's as developed as it could be. And that's the best treatment is to keep it from being uh, spread is just simply to in, basically imprison people into um, uh, 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 fever clinics, if you will, or fever uh, uh, triage centers where they keep people from reinfecting others. Um, so when you consider that the Spanish flu, which killed, as you noted, between 50 and 100 million worldwide, it was uh, its lethal effects were about 5% globally. Well, this is 90% fatal if you're exposed. Um, when you have the opportunity to come to a developed nation, that uh, death rate goes down because one of the, uh, about 50% of the people die from the virus. The other 50% uh, that do die, die from dehydration. So with uh, the only way to rehydrate someone who's having diarrhea and vomiting at the same time, uh, which is what's killing half of the numbers in Africa, is to hydrate them with IVs. And so we can do that over here in the U.S., but it's more difficult to do when you're in the trenches over in Africa. So that's the reason why people want to come here. They know that it's 90% fatal over there, um, and they know if they get into a hospital that has uh, the proper uh, setup, uh, and that's another thing we should talk about, um, that they can be hydrated and try to get their immune system back online, which is the reason why they will survive or why they won't survive. And those are those are two keys in uh, in in any kind of viral infection, and that's where we can intervene. Um, I'm happy to say, but other than that, um, this is the reason why I think the numbers are being uh, underestimated for the developed nations. Number one, there is this level of false confidence that we have the ability to quarantine very effectively here in the United States, um, and that's never been tested. It's all in the books. It's written down. The plans are there. But we already see that in Dallas, that family uh, was confined to that apartment complex where the uh, contaminated materials uh, remained, and it was just recently cleaned up. That If only one or two or three of the family members were um, uh, it, you know, made contagious, by the time that they cleaned up that, that apartment complex, probably 100% or many more of that family was contaminated because you have to clean up really exactly, well. Exactly, so yes. There's no yeah, question. They're, they're playing with fire here. We'll uh, discuss further. On the other side, Dr. John Apsley, as we discuss Ebola, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we're back with Dr. John Apsley as we discuss uh, the Ebola virus. Here's something that I find very curious. And, and I, I posted this uh, on my website, richardserrett.com, a few weeks ago. But th this story has really has gone viral, <laughs> pun intended. 
and that is that the U.S. government took out a patent on a strain of uh, Ebola. The patent number, you can look it up, it's online, it's CA2741523A1, the human Ebola virus, patented. What on earth is going on there, Dr. Uh, Apsley? Well, I, you know, this is the first I've heard of it, uh, but we do know from the past when the government does that, it's either uh, an engineered recombinant form of the virus. In other words, it could be something that was weaponized, um, and or it was a strain of the virus that uh, was unique, and they were conducting experiments with it perhaps to develop future vaccines. I don't know in this case which one it was, but... Whoever is holding the patent, you can trace it back to the people that actually developed it, and you can find out from their resumes if they're located at, like, Fort Detrick and if they're, you know, one of these special uh, Army-based um, uh, germ warfare facilities. You can, you can bet that they're doing uh, experimentation with germ warfare. Now, there's a reason for that. Um, it's not sinister. Um, it's because that if we ever encounter something that's been weaponized from a foreign enemy, we want to have conducted as many experiments with it as we can to try to find out how to antidote it. So um, that's uh, one reason why they could have developed this. The other reason they could have de developed it is because that when they were out there searching for where epidemics start, well, CDC can position people worldwide uh, just in the event that an epidemic uh, might start from a given area. Africa's a good area. Um, you want to find the latest strain that has mutated, again, in order to know the best uh, ways in which to treat it. Now, you, you mentioned, you sort of did the math for us. Uh, if this virus, you know, breaks out of Africa and into major centers in Europe, in the Middle East, uh, within Africa, obviously, first of all, but then overseas, how bad could this get? Give me a give me a figure. Is that even possible? It, it's a little bit difficult, but let me give you some figures. Um, if you were to base it just on the death rate, um, we have a real problem on our hands. Uh, so let me go over that first, because that's worst case scenario, and then we can cut back from there. Uh, because only five percent of the world's population died during the Spanish flu, and that was probably the worst on record. And because this has a 90% death rate, if you can't get treated by in, in the hospital systems to rehydrate yourself, uh, it's still 50% deadly if you are. Uh, we're talking about, um, uh, in comparison, about 675,000 people died here in North America in 1920, 1918, 1919. We're looking at closer to 30 million, 30 million, if you use just the death rate. But Worldwide, uh, we estimated between 50 million and 100 million died. We're talking about over a billion would die, uh, would have died, excuse me, would have died because there was 1.6 billion people on the planet back then. Today we have close to 7 billion people on the planet, so 90% of 7 billion would be the worst case scenario. Now, how could that happen? Well, you're, you have to calculate based upon the infectivity rate. And fortunately, they rate the Azare Ebola at down at a very low level of infectivity because they can uh, do quarantine. They can keep it 
so that uh, people aren't readily exposed to the fluids that come off of someone that's infected. But your note, Richard, is very, very critical. This causes a lot of, of specialists who are first-line specialists who, who uh, would be right there in the hospitals and in the ambulances to be very, very concerned. Why have so many nurses and doctors who know ex- extreme precautionary measures and practice them so well um, become infected in Africa? Why is that? And this is the one uh, infectivity rate that needs to play itself out because with the with the current estimates the way they are, and I can I can promise you this has also happened with the Fukushima incident. Um, initial estimates are always going to be low. They're going to want to keep people from wanting to have too much fear, and uh, I don't believe in that. I I believe that fear uh, done properly in proper context can usher in people to take preventive measures if they know what those preventive measures are. So I like to use fear in in a highly educational format uh, that's balanced with here's what you can do to prevent yourself from from, uh, succumbing to uh, a threat. But the the governments don't want to do that. They uh, don't recognize, for example, that taking vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin D3 and building up your immune system with things like uh, lactoferrin, which comes from colostrum and zinc, uh, can prepare your immune system to fight off most things. And then they don't recognize other things that are can directly intervene against the virus that are over-the-counter. Um, they tend to want to go to very expensive, newly developed drugs that are in limited supply, uh, which is what cured uh, uh, several of the physicians and nurses that have returned, um, and that's limited. So here's the catch. If Each hospital has to have a negative pressure room or treatment facility. We're going to run out of those special treatment areas really quick if the numbers start to escalate like they have in Africa. Now, how could that happen? With the numbers of people coming over from West Africa and just popping through without any checks, and you get one person who suddenly makes contact over a week with a 100 other people, suddenly you have a cluster if enough of those clusters start occurring in different states and different small regions, then those hospital beds that are able to be in negative pressure rooms will become totally exhausted. And then the system begins to start becoming wary and fatigued in terms of what resources are available to treat those people. In that case, quarantine measures are taken, and those people are not really uh, treated at all. They're just simply quarantined. That's when you get the 50% to 90% death rate starting to occur is in those quarantined environments. And that's where you don't want to be, or at least if you are, you want to know how to be taking things to keep your immune system strong during that time period. Dr. John Apsley is with us here on The Conspiracy Show as we discuss Ebola. Now, the let's say here in North America, I, th- I believe the number that you uh, mentioned was 30 million deaths, worst-case scenario. But that's just from the illness itself, I'm gathering. It wouldn't include, for example, uh, the societal breakdown that you would have because of the fear, where, for example, uh, policemen would stay home, firemen would stay home, uh, medical personnel, nurses, doctors refuse to go to work because of the fear factor. Uh, you have societal breakdown, rioting in the streets, food shortages. That is going to make the actual Ebola virus 
Looked like a walk in the park. Well, that's exactly what we saw during the Fukushima disaster with the nuclear power plants. The doctors and the nurses and the paramedics that were first-line responders, up to 75% of them left northern Japan. So at some point in time when you run out of the ability to down yourself, to, to protect yourself with proper clothing, uh, you're going to have these first responders that are going to be looking at that uh, decision-making process. Do they want to uh, uh, you know, put their, themselves at that much risk? Uh, but, but we have a long ways to get there. Now, could the federal government, both in Canada and the U.S., uh, provide enough raw materials uh, such as uh, clothing and uh, all the different uh, containment uh, procedures and supplies in time. If the outbreak were like that that we saw in Africa, in other words, if the graph of the, ex- of the uh, rapid growth rate of infected cases in Africa were to occur here in North America at the same rate, would we be able to head it off to the pass? This is where the... Uh, specialists in the field, not the academics, not the one with the credentials that are in the academic environment, but the same physicians that have the credentials that are in the trenches, that's what they're warning against. They're saying we have not taken enough steps to head it off at the pass, and the first thing that we should do is to stop all uh, travel from, from Africa. This is what a lot of them are saying. Uh, because we can't detect uh, whether or not these people are infected or not until after they can start a cluster here in 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 this part of the of the uh, of the hemisphere. So what do we do? Um, it, it's it's something that if you believe in in big government, then it's like okay, they're just going to get it right. But let me say this: the mathematical projections that we've just been talking about have never been correct. The actual reality has always been greater. So those academics and those government officials, which are quoting stats that are saying there's no way we can head it off the pass, so on and so forth, that's purely academic and that has never been born when the actual reality takes place after the fact. And on top of that, do we have all of the things in place that make us prepared and the answer to that is no, we do not. So with, we will just have to wait and see as to how well that the governments can ramp themselves up to... Uh, now, the last thing, Richard. We have always been a reactionary culture. That's our fault. That's, that's the citizens' fault. Until we get cancer, we don't quit smoking tobacco. That's how, that's how we are, and uh, it's unfortunate. Those of us like you and me that know how conspiracies actually start, what's, why? Because, oh, we don't want anybody to panic because they're reactionary and they're going to be too late uh, to figure out the actual reality. Well, your show specializes in saying, hey, listen, folks, here's a heads up. We know from history that the math is never correct, that the actual reality is always greater or worse than what's projected. So Take preventive measures, be astute, be ever watchful, and don't trust the government to tell you everything that you can do to be uh, prepared. And we can talk about that on the show. Well, it's interesting. We're, we're heading into a break here in about two minutes, but let's just begin this conversation and we'll continue on the other side. And you mentioned how we're a 
a, uh, a reactive. You know, we, we're not proactive, we react. Except when it comes to this so-called war on terror. I mean, that's the topic of another show, whether it's a phony war, and I happen to think it is largely. Uh, but in, when, when the perceived threat are these brown-skinned people with turbans living over there, uh, you know, they're capable of uh, hatching conspiracies, but we don't do it over here. When that is the perceived threat, uh, then we, we, we cease to become reactionary and we become very proactive. Uh, and yet here we are staring in the face of what could be the worst global pandemic or the worst global epidemic we've, we've ever known. And yet I just see them as being inc- incredibly cocky. I don't know. Is it political correctness that is standing in the way of uh, your government and my government? basically saying no flights into uh, West Africa and no flights out into this country. Is that is that what it is, political correctness? Or something more I, sinister? I, I think it's uh, uh, an unconscious conspiracy. I think that the comfort zones of these academics that uh, make those determinations, those people at uh, the government uh, decision-making process, they're going to be reactionary. They're not going to be proactive. Uh, prevention has never been a strong suit here in the U.S. Um, you know, one of the things about cancer, it's 90% caused by env- environmental toxins. That's a 100% preventable issue. But yet next year or by 2016, it will become the number one death uh, causation. Cancer will be. It will take over heart disease. because, And, and, and yet it's like up to 90% uh, preventable. Well, if you were to look at terrorism, if you were to look at wars... Sorry, i got to jump in um, here, Dr. Apsley. We'll, we'll pick up. will beat it out. Okay. Time. All right, we'll pick it up on the other side. The Conspiracy Show, Dr. Apsley, Ebola. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back here on The Conspiracy Show with Dr. John Apsley. Uh, Dr. Apsley, give us a website where people can read your uh, your dispatches on Ebola and other medical health issues. They just go to drapsley.com. That's uh, D-R-A-P as in Paul, S as in Sam, L-E-Y.com. Now, the... Um, the interesting approach here is they want to put boots on the ground in West Africa. Uh, you know, they keep saying the best defense is a good offense. Let's go over there. Let's send our soldiers over there. Let's send medical teams over there. Uh, and, and they want to pack them onto these troop carriers. You know, it's, it's starting to sound very familiar. What, wasn't it these troop carriers back in 1918? Uh, and many people don't know this, but the, the Spanish flu... That was that played a large role in ending the First World War. Uh, it wasn't, you know, you know, negotiations and, and and peace treaties and so forth. It was, you know, both sides being decimated by the Spanish flu. Uh, but but the idea of sending troops over there in troop carriers and then bringing them back on troop carriers in close proximity, it's almost like they're willing this to happen. 
Well, you know, oh, let me let me address it this way. Um, it, to me, it's the most um, one of the most ironic things I've ever heard is government officials saying that instead of implementing preventative measures here, that is to capture people coming in or to stop flights in and out of Africa, so on and so forth, let's fix Africa first. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. The resources that it will take to establish the infrastructure throughout Africa to contain the Ebola over there is astronomical and will take time. By that time, the, uh, the, the porousness of the travel that is allowed from Africa over to Europe and to here will have already uh, started these clusters. And so this is the reactionary issue. See, we're reacting to what's already taken place in Africa. No one was talking back in April about taking these urgent, uh, uh, you know, uh, structural corrections uh, by flying in troops and by flying in doctors and, and all that. So uh, now we are because we're coming up on about 20,000 people that uh, uh, will be nailed by this virus here in the next uh, several months. And then it will just keep on increasing until we contain it in Africa. Well, good luck. What we can do is to expect that um, it'll be after there's a whole bunch of incidents in Europe and in America and in Canada that we say, oh, no more flights from Africa. Why don't we seal the border first and then correct the problem in Africa and gear up? Let's make more negative pressure rooms possible here in hospitals across North America. Let's make sure there's enough gowns, that there's enough uh, equipment, that there's enough supplies. We don't even have the conventional drug treatments to intervene, like this, the small number of people, physicians and nurses that were cured by select drugs. We hardly have any of that. So why don't we build those, that number up so that, so that we're ready rather than be reactionary and try to play catch-up. It, it's never made any sense to me. But again, this is our society. Welcome to the 21st century. Well, I, I think there certainly uh, is you know, some of that going on, this lackadaisical uh, approach and you know, reactionary uh, part of our culture at play. But I, I, I'm sitting here, you know, host of The Conspiracy Show, and my mind does tend to go there. I mean... I, I go back to uh, Dr. Len Horowitz's book, AIDS, Ebola, or Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, Accident, Nature, or Intentional. And, and in one of the chapters in his book, he discusses, and this is going back 15 years ago, he discusses, or more, he discusses Ebola at that time already being airborne. Do you think maybe that might explain why we have these uh, doctors, despite their precautions, their hazmat suits, getting Ebola over there? Do you think this thing already has gone airborne? Well, it, to a degree, there are two kinds of airborne. There is the kind of airborne that we're, I think, actually seeing, um, where, that where a, a sneeze or a cough uh, could produce a tiny liquid droplet that could travel five to ten feet. Uh, that certainly has, is possible. There was a Canadian study that showed that pigs uh, could transmit to primates like monkeys uh, in that manner, and there are other cases where that's true for Ebola. Um, but in general, um, it, it's, the, it's the fluids. It's going to be the fluids. 
in, in the same way of like HIV, except with HIV, you can't get a viral transmission by kissing, but in this case, you can. Uh, you can shake someone's hand and then scratch your eye, and that will transmit the virus. Yeah, this is uh, not that, as far as I can see, it's not you know that difficult to transmit from human correct. to human. It, uh, and there's, there's no reason for this cocky attitude on the part of your government and mine that they can contain this thing. That is true. Let's, that is, uh, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. We'll take another time out, come back with Dr. John Apsley as we discuss Ebola. Here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back. One last go around with Dr. Apsley as we discuss Ebola uh, tonight, this morning on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, let me get back to uh, the numbers here. And uh, in, in Africa, let's focus on, on Africa. Is this just, I mean, you're saying the infrastructure isn't there. It's, it's going to take years to contain this thing. So... Uh, and so ultimately, it's just a matter of if or, or when, not if, this gets into the major centers. Uh, this is going to be a very big problem for Africa for the foreseeable future. I mean, how many how many deaths do you see in, in Africa? How many how many years is this going to go on before it can be contained, if ever? Well, that's the reason why they're sending the troops. The troops are not going to be in harm's way at all. They're going to simply build these fever centers, in other words, are prisons. As soon as someone comes down with the actual symptoms, they're brought right into these fever centers and made as comfortable as possible. And then, according to World Aid, they might be treated with uh, some of the things we have over here, but not all the things we have over here in, in, the, in the Western Hemisphere. Um, if they can just get these people rehydrated, then they're going to lower down the death rate to about 50%, because that gives their immune system enough time to try to play catch-up. Um, so when we send troops in and we send other volunteers in, uh, the bulk of that is going to be just to build these centers. It's not going to be to, to directly intervene. Now, now to your point, those folks that are first uh, uh, line of defense, yes, there has been, I think, an inordinately larger number of people contracting the virus with all precautions being taken for no darn good reason. Now, they're, they're trying to figure that out. They think it was, oh, we didn't do decontamination properly when we were spraying ourselves down with bleach. That's how they, they spray them, their gowns down. Uh, they're basically like these big, thick raincoats. Um, and they spray them with bleach, and they didn't wait long enough before they took all their clothes off, and, and suddenly it splashed in their eye, and boom, they were infected, or they inhaled it. Um, but that's going to happen again and again and again and again. So what, what I think that folks need to realize is, is that what are the treatments that are working? And let me cover that real quickly because it's something that makes sense. The drugs that are being used are attaching directly to the virus to make it 
distorted so that it can't enter inside cells. That's the first step. And the second step is to trigger the immune system to become really strong again. That's a, it's a, like a Muhammad Ali one-two punch, one-two punch. Well, we can replicate that with natural approaches. Um, there is, for example, nanoscale or silver uh, is well-known. NASA did testing back in the mid-'70s, and there's probably over uh, 10,000 articles on nanoscale or silver that show that it will distort the virus. It will either cut it up like a cleaver um, or it will uh, attach to it to make it much more difficult for it to enter into cells. That's number one. And then things like vitamin C and vitamin D3 and vitamin uh, and zinc, the mineral zinc, those things will build up the immune system. And that's where my specialty is. Uh, one of the areas that I've studied for, for many, many years is how to intervene successfully by peaking our immunity. And that's where these people survive. That's where you either die or you survive. And if you have enough nutrition, if you're not too old, if you're not too young, uh, then you may be one of the 50% uh, that, that survives this thing. If you're in Europe, though, Dr. Apsley, uh, try getting your hands on good quality vitamin C, vitamin D, and some of the other ingredients that you mentioned because uh, a lot of that has been, you know, pushed under the counter. That is exactly right. And, and that's because of the of the drug cartel. <laughs> Clear and simple. They don't want competition. They want the drugs. Well, here's a case where the drugs aren't available. And yet, because they're wanting to protect the profits for these future drugs or the current drugs, um, if the clusters start to take effect, what do they say? Oh, there's no known cure. That's what they say. We, we can't treat this. There's no known cure, which uh, justifies them putting the, these folks into quarantine. That's where both the conscious and unconscious conspiracy takes place. We have ignorance, and we have people that really know what they're doing here that are stopping uh, pe uh, people in Europe from having access to to uh, large doses of vitamin C uh, and large doses of vitamin D3 and large doses of vitamin A. We're not talking about huge, huge doses. We're talking about uh, a little bit more than what you would normally get in a healthy diet. Um, and, and, and zinc, all that raises, like for example, they're using interferon that's been tagged as one of the treatments, one of the one-two punches. That's used for well, hepatitis. Yeah, oh, used for all kinds of viral things. But remember, that's where people are surviving is when their immune system kicks into high gear and this virus attacks the immune system, just like HIV does, so or very similar to it. So by um, making your body's interferon kick into high gear, then you, can, you have the greatest chance to defeat this thing. And once you're immune, then you're immune pretty much uh, for, for long, long term. In fact, one of the treatments they're giving is those people that have survived, they're taking out uh, that person, they're doing a blood transfusion. They're taking out the plasma, the liquid part of the blood, injecting it directly into a compatible uh, patient who's active with the virus, and it's, it's really working. In fact, the first doctor was cured that way, or at least a large part of his symptoms were relieved because they ran out of the drugs. Hmm. Well, here's my big concern, one of my big concerns. And we go back to the war on terror on this one. How long is it before someone, I don't know, like ISIS, clues into the fact that, hey, we can pack a bunch of infected uh, people from uh, Liberia, Guinea, onto a plane, fly them into New York, 
let's say they're at day 18, they don't show symptoms until about day 21, those people have instructions to go out and mingle with uh, as many New Yorkers as they possibly can once they, uh, you know, once they start to so- show symptoms. And then all of a sudden, storm. you've got more clusters than you can ever imagine in the Big Apple. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect storm. Um, ISIS and ISIL fame is core al-Qaeda. They are very, very smart. They're hardened. They're experienced. And they know this. Um, I'm sure that this is one of their strategies, unfortunately, and it's one of the things they want to, uh, the government officials don't want to talk about openly. This is the reason why that we put our TSA into place here across the country. This is the reason why I am saying let's shut it down. If we can try to play catch-up as quickly as possible with those 150 to 300 Americans, I don't know about Canadians, there's got to be a smaller number, but still, that have passports that are members of ISIL and ISIS, this is uh, one strategy that, that they've got to be thinking about. And, of course, it's a smart one. Now, let me just tell you this, uh, Richard, so that your audience knows. The incubation period is between two days and 21 days. What we've seen recently is these people are very ill by day seven. They are very ill by day seven. So, uh, But still, that's something that, that uh, these terrorists could put into the equation and get, get these people exposed and get them sent over here immediately and that would just be horrible. Oh, I, I guarantee that they're thinking about this. They're, they're plotting this as we speak. And when it happens, not if, when it's attempted, I know what the, uh, the officials, let's say it happens under Obama's watch, what they're going to say. Just like Condoleezza Rice said in the wake of 9-11, well, we couldn't ever have anticipated something like that. That's exactly what they'll say, and yet it's obvious even to a four-year-old that that's what's going to go down. That's why we are a reactionary culture. We put politicians in charge who baby us, who think that we're not smart enough to know this, to be proactive, and they just say, let's, let's just uh, wait until after the fact, and then we'll try to deal with it as best we can. You're exactly right, Richard. Well, that's why uh, in the deepest, darkest recesses of my reptilian brain, Dr. Apsley, I think there is some rogue element in government or above government uh, that has no allegiance to this country or ours uh, that want this to happen and that are either going to make it happen or let it happen. What do you think of that? We mean for population control. Yes. Well, what a mess, though. I mean, talk about a way to control a population. Hemorrhagic fever. Oh my God, it is. It is unbelievably frightening. Messy. It's. It's just horrible. Uh, I, I, I mean, in terms of, un- listen, I'm a big proponent of unconscious conspiracy on grand scales that deals with the, this reactionary, uh, oh, I, I'm big government, I have to take care of our citizens, I know better than they do attitude. That's what gets us into trouble. As I said, cancer is going to be the number one de- cause of death here in North America within the next one to two to three years, and it's 90% preventable. And we don't push it because big industry is what's causing it. Now, that's if you if you if you uh, be a whistleblower and you work for the CDC, you work for NIH, you work for NCI, and you say, "Hey, listen, that company's doing this and that company's doing that," you get fired. That's that's this ignorance that goes into it. That's stupidity. That's not someone saying, uh, "Listen, we're going to plot 
uh, causing these cancer rates to take off like crazy. It's people who are just afraid of losing their jobs. Now, I have to say this, though, to back the, the conscious part of the conspiracy. Those individuals that really know this, they buy the hospital beds. They buy into the, the cancer treatments of the future because they know that this is how society has always operated. Until we, the people, become proactive and we elect only officials that are proactive, in other words, they're smart and talk like you do, we're going to continue to have the same problem again. And unfortunately, the most college kids today don't even know who the first president of the United States was. I mean, it's crazy how, how dumbed down we've, we, our kids are today. It's, it's not good. Well, not good. we've got about a minute here, Dr. Apsley. Give us an assignment. Uh, well, because we, we are running out of time, please come to my website. I'll, I will give you uh, a lot of excellent homework of things that you guys can do, um, all referenced with the medical peer review. I'm a big on that because uh, when you're out there in front being proactive, everyone wants to attack you because they're not, you know. Uh, I'm saying that nanoscalar silver, colloidal silver that's nanoscalar, um, is wonderful to intervene and to peak the immunity in these kinds of situations. Vitamin C has been shown in Africa to reduce all kinds of the so-called uh, uh, plagues that are endemic to certain places in Africa. Uh, amazing stories. Uh, vitamin D3, why is it the flu hits at, in, starting in December? Because everyone has is, is been indoors, no, sun, no sunshine. Got about 20 seconds. So, these are the kinds of things that you'll read on my website of what you do to build your immunity. And then if you have to intervene to develop what I call peak immunity in these, uh, you know, these urgent situations, then you'll, you'll know what works in those cases, too, that you can have in your home. Dr. Apsley, thank you so much for this. You're very welcome. Thank you again for having me on. My pleasure. We'll stay on top of this, and we'll talk to you periodically. Okay, let me give you Dr. Apsley's website one more time. That's dot. Dr. Apsley, that's D-R-A-P-S-L-E-Y.com, www.drapsley.com. We'll have him back on and keep on top of this Ebola story, of course, because it's not going anywhere anytime soon. My website, of course, is www.richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. <laughs>